All right. Well, uh, again, it's great to have you here. And we've been uh, telling you about this service for a couple weeks because if you've been with us, uh, we are in the middle of a series that we're calling I Want to Believe But. And we're doing that both here at uh, H2O Bowling Green and at H2O Akron. Joining us via video, I want to say uh, hi to you guys and give you a shout out. And today we have a special treat. We have a guest speaker who is a close friend of ours here at H2O, Tim Butler. And uh, Tim is a, a great man of faith. Uh, he has been around the Bowling Green community for many years. And uh, Tim also travels around and speaks. He's a professional counselor. And uh, we just felt like he has a lot of great experience uh, with this topic of why do bad things happen to good people. And so we asked Tim to come in and share with us. And when we did, he right away said yes, because uh, I know that he really has a heart for the Lord and a heart to share with others about what God has done in his life and how God has helped him to lead so many other people to healing and dealing specifically with a question like this. So with that being said, would you guys give uh, Tim a warm H2O welcome? Thank you. I appreciate that. As uh, he said, I'm from uh, Chicago originally, but I've been, I was there for 30 years. I've been here for 30 years, so I'm old enough to be a dinosaur, but I can still hang on. But yeah, I do a lot of life coaching, and I do uh, counseling, public speaking, that kind of thing. Married, have two kids, been married about 33 years, longer than some of you have been alive, but that's irrelevant right now. So I'm unpacking this question of uh, why do bad things happen to good people and Brian gives me the hard stuff, because there's no way I can answer that question. That's an extremely hard question. And there's about a million ways I could go, and so I've got to figure out... He said I've got two hours, so I hope you guys are ready for that, but <laughs> there's a lot of ways I could go. But the question has got some flaws in it, and there's a lot of ways I could talk about the flaws, but the first one is I, I want to talk about sort of the, the presuppositions on that question. Because clearly we know that bad things happen, right? You know, Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico and Mexico and... The story we just heard, and you got your own story, and I've got my story, so there's no doubt that bad things happen. But there's sort of this presupposition in that question, and, and maybe it makes sense if I, if I was to, to ask you, point one of the guys in here and say, when did you stop beating your girlfriend? Well, wait a second, there's like a presupposition that I was beating my girlfriend. That's a, that's a, a false question, or, or I would ask a girl, when did you stop having sex with your boyfriend? Well, wait a second, you find yourself on the defensive, that means that I, you, you assumed that I was. So maybe a better question might be, how do you treat your girlfriend? Or what level of intimacy do you have with your boyfriend, right? So we're kind of backing away from the accusation. Or even better, do you have a boyfriend, do you have a girlfriend? See, all those questions imply that I don't really know you. Because if I knew you, I'd know the answer to those questions before I asked them. So there's a level of intimacy that I don't have that forces me to ask you those questions. And so with the topic, I want to believe, but how do I make sense of bad things happening to good people? There's, there's a lot of presuppositions there. And what, part of it is, who is God? Who is, do I even have a level of intimacy to know who God is? And so the false presupposition is that God is this big, powerful guy in the sky who is supposed to make my life happy and, and healthy and wealthy and safe, and it's all it's supposed to work out. Kind of this cosmic vending machine and... How come he doesn't always give me what I want? But putting attributes on God that aren't false isn't healthy. Right? Those are false attributes. But you see, that's what I believe. Okay, but your beliefs don't always represent reality. So how do I curb my beliefs to represent reality? What if I said I really believe that you are beating your girlfriend because I saw bruises on her? Well, what I don't know is that she plays rugby. 
and that she gets beat up on a weekly basis? Or what if I said, I really believe you are having sex with your boyfriend because you look pregnant. What are you saying, look fat? I did that one time. I was at a Verizon store. True story, I was at a Verizon store buying a phone. Long contact with this girl, Brenda, whatever her name was. Spent a lot of time with her. She had the old baby bump going on, and she was just all decked out, and she was, you know, clearly revealing it. So we were all done. I went to the counter, and I said, you know, thanks. You've been a really big help to me. And by the way, congratulations on what? I said, well, you're impending birth. She goes, I'm not pregnant. I gave birth seven months ago. I said, well, you look fat. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I just walked away. I just knew there was no way out of that hole. I just walked away and said, stupid, stupid, stupid. My, uh, my wife gave me some crap about that. She wasn't too fond of that one. But... So I never, 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 never asked that question again. But there are some presumptions. And so when we make presumptions, and I had clearly no intimacy with this girl. I didn't know her well. Might have been, I made a false presumption. And that's part of the Part of the difficulty of this question is we make these false presumptions. And so rather than talking about making why does it happen, why do bad things happen, maybe I'll rephrase it to more making sense of bad things happening. And I'll just speak a little bit to the topic of kind of who is God, but that would take us weeks to to clearly talk on that topic. So back in the mid-70s, there was a shipwreck of an iron iron ore ship up in Duluth, Minnesota, Lake Superior. And this old guy by the name of Gordon Lightfoot sang a song of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. But there's a line in there that I think is so fitting. And he says, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? And that's the real question, isn't it? Some, one of the character qualities of God is God is love. And so where does the love of God go when I feel like life isn't fair? according to my definition of fair, or I'm not happy according to what my definition is happiness. Where's the love of God in the wreck of this boat where 26 people went down? Where's the love of God in Texas, in Puerto Rico, in Florida, in the story that we heard in your life? Where's the love of God? I mean, that's a legit question. But only God knows the total answer of that. Now, there's several possibilities of answering that question. Certainly one is, I deserved the bad, right? You're on a full-ride scholarship to BGSU, and you've got this chronic habit of cheating, and so you get kicked out. Where's the love of God? What? You deserved it, right? You cheated, you got kicked out of the school. Or maybe God is taking something away to give us something better. I was engaged to another woman at one point. And God just shut it down. He just shut it down. And my life was crushed. And then God brought in my current wife, Debbie, 33 years ago. So God took something away. And I thought my world had ended. And God opened up eventually another door. Or maybe another possibility for where is the love of God is we live in this sin-filled world. And we suffer the effects of sin being present in this world, illness, death, natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, because sin is in the world. And maybe you can think of another reason, but it can't be because God is mean, because God is love. If you're keeping notes, it's in your notes. It's impossible for God to operate outside of his character. So I don't always understand it, but I have to know that God is love. It's impossible 
for God to operate outside of that character. Which leads us to another question of, did God allow the bad thing to happen or did God cause the bad thing to happen? That would take us until tomorrow to talk about. Those are huge questions. But sufficient to say that God didn't stop the bad thing from happening in my life and someone else's life. But that's when the wheels start falling off. The original question of, I want to believe, but why do bad things happen? Because it's sort of the American way to expect that nothing bad should happen. There's this presupposition that bad things are bad, and so it should all be good. We expect life to be easy. I want life to be my way. I don't want to suffer. And if I do suffer, I want some medicine. I want some magic. I want to make it go away. I want my phone to be fast, my electronics to be fast, my food to be fast. Dare I say we have a sense of entitlement where we deserve life to be super convenient, super easy. Oh my gosh, it took like you forever to answer my text. Like that's suffering. Where have you been? We expect life the way we expect it. And if it's not that way, it's bad. What do you call a place that has sunshine all the time? Call that a desert. It's not good. (laughs) So let me go back to the first couple, Adam and Eve. And they had this apple tasting party, and I'm not talking about Red's apple ale, but God told them, don't go there. Well, they went there. And sin, which, which literally means missing the mark. They did things they shouldn't do. Sin entered the world. Things went south very quickly. So as a result, we all live in this world with sin around us, where death is a reality, sickness is a reality, catastrophe, and so forth. So whether you're a guilty person or not, whether you're a Christ follower or not, sin happens. There used to be a bumper sticker, but it was four letters. But sin happens. So I want to give quick acknowledgement that we're all in different places spiritually. And so some of what I say may, may seem foreign to you, and that's okay. It's okay to have questions, and I'm glad you're here. Get some answers along the way, maybe today, maybe elsewhere. But John, one of the authors in the Bible, tells an account of Jesus trying to get his disciples to understand that he was the Son of God. He tried so many times. He said, I need you to know who I am. I need that relationship. I need the intimacy. I need you to trust in me because, you know what, very soon he said, I'm going to be gone. And you're going to be scattered. You're going to be split up because you're going to freak out. And you're going to think that bad things are happening. So he says this in John 6, 16, and I'm going to read it out of a translation called The Message. So it may be a little bit not familiar for some of you. John 16, 32. Jesus answered them, do you finally believe? In fact, you're about to make a run for it, saving your own skins and abandoning me. But Jesus said, I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you all this so that trusting me, you'll be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you'll continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I've conquered the world. So he essentially says, after my death, my burial, my resurrection, I'm going to overcome the world by defeating Satan. And if you're in a relationship with me, you're going to have peace in the midst of bad things happening to you. But I've not wiped out sin yet. That time will come. For, for now, I've blocked Satan from having absolute power over you if you follow me. He said, in the meantime, in life, you will experience trials and suffering because sin is in the world. And if you're in a relationship with me, you're going to find peace 
in the midst of it. And that relationship is what's key to finding peace, not the absence of suffering. Now, I'm admitting it's tough to get into a relationship with God in the midst of suffering. No, I, no one likes to do that. Why should I believe God when X is happening? And it's tough to stay in a relationship with God in the midst of suffering. I'm admitting that. But that's where faith comes into play when you learn to separate the person from the problem. I'm always amazed when I, in my counseling business when I talk to kids that have been with abusive parents or you know, rough situations, but they still at some point love those parents because they've separated the person from the problem. And they've recognized that I love that person for who they are, but I don't like what happened to me. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Friends, when life gets really difficult... Don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritually refining process with glory just around the corner. Don't be shocked. That's life with sin in the world. And you're being refined in the process. You're being matured in the process. You're growing in the process. This process of life either grows us just like college will either grow you or you stay stagnant. So we go from asking why do bad things happen to how do I make sense of bad things happening? And I'm suggesting even a better question is what can I learn? from bad things happening to good people? What can I learn about life? What can I learn about God? Because clearly I don't know God well if I think that God should prevent any and every bad thing from happening to me. That's not God. See, the longer you live, the more you'll realize that life is a little bit like a curvy road. You never really know what's around the corner. And I don't mean that in some sort of fatalistic, negative way. I just mean it in a realistic way. You never really know what each day is going to bring. I mean, I'm sure we could all agree on that. Last weekend, my daughter, who's, who's here today, and I did a bike ride on one bike, tandem bike, and we were attempting to do, originally attempting to do 100 miles, except for the day was about 100 degrees, so couldn't really pull that off. But then we ended up with double flats. We had two flat tires right now, boom, boom. I didn't have any way to replace them because there was nothing more available. So the ride was over. So we didn't see that happening. But that's a little bit like life. You just don't know what it's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to turn out. But that kind of goes against our grain, doesn't it? Because I want life my way. I want to grip on life, on things my way. I'm going to decide if it's fair or not. I'm going to decide the road ahead. No, you're not. No, you're not. I've got a little grandbaby. A couple of them. One is six months old or so. Georgia May, there we go. And uh, when she's happy, she's happy. When she's not, she's not. Like, there's no in between. Like, I'm not happy. I want something right now. Not very different from some of us. I'm not happy. I want something right now. And God says, let go of your grip and hold my hand. Learn from me. Trust me. So when you were a little kid, your parents would reach down and you'd hold their hand and and, and they, you'd walk through, you know, across the busy street or through the mall or things that you couldn't see or through a medical procedure, they'd sort of walk you through that. And a healthy parent takes you through those times. And maybe you'll learn some life lessons and maybe just learn to trust them more. 
Now, some of your parents are still trying to hold your hands, and that's another problem for another day. We can talk about that, but they're having a hard time letting go, and you're kind of liking the ride. But Sometimes life is kind of like that. We don't know what's going on. We don't have a clear vision of what's the road ahead. And so God says, reach up and hold my hand. Grab a hold of me. I'll guide you through it. It won't make sense for a while. That's okay. Stay with me. I'll give you hope. That curvy road in the darkness, I'll help you with that. So we end up finding our hope in the character of God not just in the provisions of God. I need to know who God is. Otherwise, I simply look at the outcome and judge God by my surroundings. Singer Babby Mason has this line in one of her songs, and I've got it stenciled on the wall in my house. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. I don't see God's hand or purpose in Puerto Rico and the tragedies they're suffering from right now, but I'm only trusting the heart of God. A small child trusts his parents in the midst of bad things happening. And we, we do the same with God, right? We learn to trust God in the midst of bad things happening, even though we don't see for the moment what's going on. I want to Give voice, though, to the small percentage of you who had parents who just straight up abused you, like Joe was talking about, or they didn't protect you from abuse. It's much harder to believe in God because our view of God is shaped by our view of our parents, primarily our father. And when they let us down, then it's really hard to believe that God won't let us down, like I've not seen somebody that didn't let me down. It's really hard to believe, but it's not impossible. And that's as a therapist, I spend a lot of time with folks who are walking through that journey, and it is a journey, it does take time to kind of separate God from what you grew up with. But I want to give voice to the fact that's an uphill climb for you more than somebody else, and I, and I want to respect that. So we, we learn to hope in the character of God. We understand that hope is believing in God, even when we don't understand, like, agree with what's happening to us or around us. Psalm 138 says, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me, right? So the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. I can have confidence in that, even though for the moment maybe I can't see it. Which is why I say the better question is, what can I learn from these things going on around me? So I'll give you a couple of quotes from a couple of authors. Larry Crabb is one, his book called Shattered Dreams, which is all about bad things happening. He says this, true abandonment, giving ourselves to God in utter dependence on his willingness to give himself to us, pleads only mercy. It allows us no room for control. It includes no claim on God that obligates him to do anything. I, I'm obligating God to do what I think God should do. Only suffering has the power to bring us to that point. The only way I get control of my life again, he goes on to say, is to give up my right to it, which is not the American way. And Tim Keller, in a book called Counterfeit God, says this, sorrow, or suffering, is a pain for which there are sources of consolation. Sorrow comes from losing one good thing among others, so that if you experience the loss of one thing, you can find comfort in another. But despair, however, is inconsolable. Because it comes from losing an ultimate thing. When you lose the ultimate source of your meaning or hope, 
there's no alternative sources to turn to that breaks your spirit. So he says, sometimes bad things happen and can tempt us to lose all hope and just quit. Suicide, lights out, head down, life is over. There is no God. And we can get to that spot. And truly, at some point in your life, you should get to that spot. It's a healthy spot to be in, not a healthy spot to stay in. But it's part of the journey. C.S. Lewis, who is an author that you probably might have heard of before, this is one of his more quoted lines. He watched his wife die of cancer. And he said, pain insists upon being attended to. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. God speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to raising a deaf world. God shouts in our pain. We don't like those shouts. We don't like those pains. We don't like that suffering. But God allows that. And so we have this false view of life and God if we really believe that life should happen without pain. Now, the Bible, which we believe is God-inspired, actually has a lot to say on the subject of bad things or trials or how to process them. I'm only going to read a couple because it literally would take me a long time to read all of them. And it's, it's a good Google search at some point is to look up the word trials, tribulation, suffering, and see what the Bible has to say about it. But I'm just going to read a couple verses. Here's one in Romans 5, again from the message, Romans 5, 3. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged, quite the contrary. We We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. So it's part of our journey. It's part of our journey. Remember I said a place that's got sunshine all the time is called a desert. So no pain, no gain, right? Weightlifting, right? If I don't lift weights and the the strength that it takes to lift weights, that pain causes me to get stronger. So Paul says that one reason that bad things happen is to sort of toughen us up, change our character, maybe emotional weightlifting, Maybe a way to say that? Psalm 27, 13, I would have despaired unless I believed that I might see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I would have despaired. I would have remained inconsolable, that suicidal spot. Unless I believed that I'm going to see good things at some point in my life from God. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to look eagerly for the goodness of God. And then Hebrews, which I don't have here on the slide, says, The hope we have is an anchor of the soul. Hope is an anchor of the soul. Think of my soul being out of control. It's adrift, and hope just sort of keeps me anchored. Even in the midst of a storm, you don't need an anchor if the waves are not nailing you. 
I'm going to read a poem that always chokes me up when I read it. It's written by a 12-year-old girl. We use hope every day as we sit and walk and lay. But hope is more than what meets the eye. Because that is how God made it. And no one knows why. Hope is believing that God knows everything. Whether it crawls on the ground or flies with wings. Hope is believing in the best. Believing that maybe you will surely be blessed. I especially use hope every day that I can stay alive in more than one way. And the reason that always chokes me up is because that was my daughter before she died. At the age of 12, my daughter died. She was killed. And she wrote that poem before she died. She was poisoned by the very drug that was intended to heal her of her brain tumor. So I'm no expert on the subject, but I got some history when it comes to bad things happening to good people. So did I spend my time in emotional despair? Absolutely. Did I think God had left me out and abandoned me? Absolutely. Did I go through the depths of emotional despair and consider suicide? Absolutely. That's all part of the journey. Did I ask God, why does this terrible thing happen to me? Absolutely. Then I realized as time went on that I'll really never know from a human perspective why this happened. Certainly nothing that would ease my pain. But then I realized who God is and who I am. And that God's not responsible to me for his actions. Where was I when the world was created? Who am I to believe that I have the capacity to know all that God knows? Who is God? Who am I? And it forces you on those kind of decisions when really, really bad things happen. But in the fullness of time and with the grace of God, my efforts at moving on, I learned the gifts of suffering. That has changed my life more than anything else. Isaiah talks about the treasures of darkness, the gifts of suffering, so that even the death of a child, which quite possibly is the lowest of lows, was not too devastating for the grace of God. See, the same God who gave me hope, and the same God who gave Lynn, my daughter, hope as she drafted that poem, and the same God who gave my wife and I the ability to move on together, because the death of a child frequently splits up a marriage, is the same God that's available to us when we go through those dark times. Because we don't know where the love of God goes. But we know God is love. And to be able to separate that and see that and to know God, to have that relationship, the hope is the anchor of the soul. So I can't answer the question but I can turn you on to the creator of the universe who knows more than we do. And therein lies my hope. Because no loss is too devastating for the grace of God. The grace of God, the ability for God to move in your life, for the ability for God to give you peace in your life. The grace of God is such a huge subject, but you don't know anything about it until you suffer. It's irrelevant until you need it. 
And then when you need it, you realize, okay, God, you are present, just not the way I thought it was going to be. Because God's power is greater than any pain. So I think life really comes down to two things. Life's two priorities for a Christ follower is to process our emotions and follow the will of God. I've got to process, I've got to manage, I've got to deal with, I've got to face, I've got to address my emotions. I can't just ignore them, we're not robots. But then I have to follow the will of God. I'm not God, you're not God. We have to follow the will of God. We have to trust in the character of God. And those two things are huge subjects, but I think it really comes down to that. Because our emotions play such a big role, and we feel, and we believe. But it's not always accurate. So I've got to manage those. Then I've got to follow God. Okay, God, let me know what's next. God shouts in our pain. So I don't know where you, what your journey's at right now. Maybe you're in a space where nothing bad has really happened. That's great, but I hate to tell you this, but it's going to happen. Just stuff happens. And maybe you're in a space where right now you're going through a tough time. I don't know. But it's the same God that's walking with you. And if you don't know who God is, that's the place to start. God, who are you? I don't know who you are. I have this presupposition that you need to be this big guy in the sky that makes everything right. Maybe I'm wrong. So who are you, God? And rather than asking why do bad things happen and staying away from God, I want to really encourage you to pursue that God of hope to really pursue the God of hope and say, God, what are you telling me as a result of these bad things happening? And through that journey and with time, let God give you the hope, the joy, the peace that comes from knowing him. Not ignoring your problems, but finding God in the midst of them. And that's my story. Let's pray.